Welcome back to Obscure Broadcasting's podcast, Famous Last Words. We're nearing the end of our 31 days of horror. It's very, very sad. Um, today we're talking about a movie from 1973, Ganja and Hess. This one's a hard one to peg, uh, in my opinion. Um, my name's Andrew. Oh, and I'm Teresa. And Ganja <laughs> and Hess follows a anthropologist, a depressed anthropologist, who gets stabbed, uh, who... Needs a new assistant. His assistant comes, played by the director, Bill Gunn. And Bill Gunn, uh, in the movie, is a little nutty and stab, tries to stab... He does stab Dwayne Jones of Night, Night of the Living Dead fame. He played the lead in Night of the Living Dead. He played the lead in this. The only two leads he ever played. And Bill Gunn stabs Dwayne Jones. Um, Hess Green, Dr. Hess Green seemingly kills him. Has a nice meal, takes a bath, shoots some stuff in the chest. <laughs> this is like the play-by-play. This is like a play-by-play. And um, Dwayne Jones isn't dead, stumbles across the body, has no wounds, drinks some blood, and he is a vampire now. And then where the Ganja part of the movie comes into play is when Ganja Maida, played by Marlene Clark, the widow now of Bill Gunn, comes to the comes to his his fancy mansion and uh they kind of fall in love sort of kind of and it's very experimental. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of this movie? I mean this this movie was really interesting cuz it has a lot of like significance um but it's definitely just an art film. I mean I mean I guess some background on its like significance is it was made during a time where there was a lot of like black exploitation films that were also getting into the horror genre like Blackula and you know a lot of things focusing on sex and gore um but this film so this film was uh funded from the um distributor hoping that it would be like one of those films and then the director you know was like no I'm making my own film and I'm gonna make this kind of like artsy and um, non-linear in a way. There's some things that are very like back and forth and um, experimental. Um, and it, it just like ended up looking really beautiful. It's made on a really low budget. You can definitely tell, but he like tried to make the most of it. Um, and the company, the distribution company was not happy with that and they cut out. So it's like two, a, it's a running length from the, almost two hours. Long. It's two hours. Yeah. And they cut it down. They ripped out like 40 minutes of it or something. Mm-hmm. And then tried to release it. And it didn't, it really didn't make any sense. You can't like tell what the story was at all. It just like flopped completely. Um, and then it kind of disappeared for a while and then resurfaced and was restored to its full vision. And then it became like a cult classic, especially in like the art film world. Yeah. I, I, I thought this movie had some really amazing visuals, especially like. This movie was not afraid to try lots of things. Mm-hmm. I don't. We watched kind of a free version on Amazon. There probably is a more restored version, but I thought the sound is hard. To, like the sound is poor. The sound is not great quality, and not in kind of an endearing way. Sometimes it's really like the sound levels are not mixed very well in the version we were watching. So I found certain sequences to be really not engaging. However, this movie is made in 1973. This movie is before 
The Shining before, you know, this movie is a predecessor to a lot of the movies. It's before Halloween. It's before, you know, so this movie is really an interesting because it's at that heightened level of like a Bella Lugosi or, you know, it's like at that level of like, it is a very unique, singular story of Dracula or story of like a Dracula vampire story. Mm-hmm. And I thought like that was really interesting. Yeah. No, it's definitely, it has really great elements. I mean, you mentioned that the sound wasn't great and I agree. I think they they struggled a lot with their location sound, um, probably because it was such a small budget. But they did make use interesting use of like voiceover and other techniques to kind of like get around that issue. Um, and the, I think the acting was really, really well done. Um, I mean, especially from both main characters, Ganja and Hess, like, oh yeah, they had a really, really captivating chemistry. Yeah. They, and, and not like a very obvious one too. Like there was, their performances were very, very subtle and therefore then like really interesting in the movie does a thing that like we talked about sometimes with, with our own movie is the movie asks a lot of questions and doesn't feel the need to answer them all. Let's the audience think about them. And as long, I mean, in the era now where we're spoon fed everything, I think this movie feels like a little bit like disjointed, but it's actually, I think a pretty straightforward story. It just requires a little bit of thought. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, there's one moment in particular that, um, Ganja has this long monologue, um, after finding her dead husband frozen in like the wine cellar mm-hmm. and she's, I guess she's confronting Hess with what happened, but then she goes on to explain how like she was treated poorly by her mother and, you know, she never really loved her, appreciated her for a woman except for like her beauty. And basically it's all to say that she's always had to look out for herself. Like she's always been number one from that very moment and like had to just survive. And then the next scene, pretty much, they get married. And it's supposed to kind of, I think, it's supposed to explain, you know, why she would marry him after finding out she killed, he killed her husband. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly it. And and you said that when we were watching, you're like, oh, that that makes complete sense to me. But if you're like only half paying attention or or not really with it, you're not along for the ride. It just seems really random. Like she sees her dead husband, doesn't seem to care. But... I think it played, like you said, there's a scene in between those two scenes, this whole like showing of her soul and showing of like what her her value system is. And like, not to say she didn't love her husband, but like that she still has to look out for number one and she has to look out for herself and, and that she's going to do whatever it takes to survive. And that's kind of her MO as a character. I mean, throughout Mm -hmm. the story, I mean, when Hess dies at the end, she continues on. You know what I mean? Like, she's going to still, you know, continue on out, you know, past the movie. And she is, has her own value system there. Yeah. Um, There's such a beautiful way in that monologue. I think that's, this movie has a lot of monologues, which <laughs> our movie has a lot of monologues. But some of them might work really well. Some of them, I think, like, Bill Gunn has gave himself a lot of really great dialogue mm. that I wish he'd given to an actor. Like, yeah, he was, he was okay. He, but. He read one really interesting um, line that stuck out in one of his monologues and he was saying like, you know, I didn't, I was going crazy and I didn't know if I was the victim or the murderer. And so I had to, I have to kill both the victim and the murderer or something like that. And I think that stuck out because later, you know, he 
he tries to kill himself and then gets stopped by Hess and then does go forth with it. But I think part of the reason why he killed himself is, and after stabbing Hess is because After seemingly killing Hess. Yeah. After killing him is because he's both the victim and the murderer. Right. And everything is justified through monologue, through poetic monologue. And the one line in Hess's I thought was really, really amazing. I'm sorry. In Ganja's monologue, her, she's, she's just like her mother. Well, what was it? It's like a play on words almost like Ganja was put upon her mother. She didn't have her. She was put upon. Like, I thought that was a really, really great way of thinking about an unwanted pregnancy. She was diseased. With or something Gan- with her, yeah, with Ganja. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I now that we're like talking about this together, I think the real a fascinating thing about this movie is like the subtleties of language and how they apply to other scenes later in the movie. Because when you're watching it, it's a little bit harder to make those connections. But when you're thinking back, like we were just doing, you know, like, oh, this is part, you know, this this makes sense now with this scene. And, and so there's definitely a poetic language to this film, even though the downside to it is it's, you know, production quality is a little bit on the lower end, which makes it harder to really buy into the movie for a mm. while. It's perhaps a little too long. Um, yeah, definitely language is a little long in some of the sequences. I was like, okay, like I get it. Like, And there's some really artful things about it. It's really interesting compared to um, like Dolomite. Because that was 1975, so right around the same time. And that is a truly black exploitation movie. Um, in every sense of the word, it's like silly. It's kind of action comedy. Budgets were probably very similar. Um, the um, the Dolomite Eddie Murphy movie, I think, is great, by the way. but And it's a really interesting biopic. I think it was, it was a really fun watch. But Ganja and Hess is a very sophisticated movie. Mm-hmm. And it... We we talk a lot in these days about elevated horror. This movie is an elevated horror movie just made in the seventies, in the early seventies. I think it's an I mean, this movie is close as close to Halloween as it is to Night of the Living Dead. It's SmackDown. This movie I think is a really, really beautiful balancing of this idea. And it never is silly and it is so sophisticated. Dolomite is super silly. Like, you know, I mean, we're just complaining. Like, if they wanted a black exploitation movie, they didn't get it. Yeah. Because this movie is very, very serious. Yeah. I love how, like, ballsy he was to, like, take the money and agree to a certain kind of film and then just completely do whatever he wanted. And, I mean, that's the only reason why this film exists, I think. I mean, it is a really ahead of its time, and it's made by black artists, and... It's very culturally significant for that. And I think if he hadn't dealt with the consequences, um, it wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't exist and it wouldn't be still talked about yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, uh, I think Ganja and Hess was, is, is a really great movie. And I think if you get a chance to watch it, you should, it's free on Amazon. It's probably, I I checked it's on YouTube. I bet you it's on YouTube because I doubt its rights are protected. We didn't watch the Spike Lee remake, but maybe we will someday to Sweet Blood of Jesus, which was his Kickstarter movie. Um, It's got pretty low ratings. Um, Hmm. But the Sweet Blood of Jesus does have a pretty 
phenomenal opening sequence that you can check out uh, with um, Bruce Hornsby uh, opening score, which I, Spike Lee knows how to do a good opening sequence. Um, my last thing before I, before we get out of here, the font titles thing with Ganja and Hess and the cross, oh, yeah. I think that looks really good. That like one of the best titles ever. Like excellent title logo. The font that they even use in the credits is pretty good too. And um, my last like little art thing that I loved in this is the um, the sound design and the music that they use of the there's like children kind of singing and chanting and then they like manipulate it depending on what's happening sometimes it's like really reverby and then mm-hmm. i don't know it's just really it has like that creepiness to it and i really like that they it's like yeah. a, a, a motif that works really really well yeah well all right so watch ganja and hess it's an amazing movie and i really thoroughly enjoyed it i definitely want to watch it again yeah me too this is andrew This is Teresa.